Colossians 2 and 1 to 7, just as we're settling, uh, if you got the email, I don't know if I sent it out maybe Thursday or Friday, um, I, I said this, the title of the sermon would be, What Do You Want From Me? Well, I've tweaked that slightly, and I think the better question is, What Do You Want For Me? What do you want for me? It's a bit of a double-sided question. What do you want for me? What do I want for you? These two questions actually need to be asked in all sorts of relationships. Very helpful if married that they would ask each other these questions. What do you want for each other? Maybe husbands and wives, you can do that a little bit later. Friends should ask what do they want for each other Probably doesn't happen very often, but bosses and employees should ask what do they want for each other. But a very profound question that needs to be asked among believers in a local church just like this one is the question, what do we want for each other? Let me make it a little bit more personal for you. As your pastor, what do you want for me? What do you want for me? As your pastor, what do I want for you? Some of you might remember the smash hit by Whitney Houston, which uh, was originally sung by Dolly Parton, I Will Always Love You, was the feature song in the, the movie The Bodyguard. And here are some of the words from that song. She's saying, I hope life treats you kind. I hope that you have all that you've dreamed of. I'm wishing you joy and happiness, but above all, I wish you love. The one thing that I hope that we don't want for each other is we don't want all our dreams for each other to come true, do we? That would be disastrous. That would be horrible. Brothers and sisters, what should we want for each other? What should we want for each other? Paul's going to answer that question for us in our passage in Colossians chapter 2. And let me show it to you. Have a look at it. Verse 1, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, verse 1, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally, my goal is. Stop there. My goal is. Here is what I want for you. Here are my desires for you. And in the midst of that, here are our desires and wants for each other. In fact, if you look at it, it says, I'm contending. That, that, that word in the Greek is actually the word agomitsomai, which agon, from where we get our word agony. He says, I'm, 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 I'm agonizing this for you. I'm wanting this for you. I'm desiring this for you. I'm, I, I'm doing everything personally possible to, to, to see these goals for you. Here's my heart for you. Here's what I want for you. So here's my first heading. What does Paul want for these Christians? What does he want? And before I show it to you in verse 2, I want you to notice that he says, my goal is this, but it's for Christians that he hasn't even met. Do you notice that? Look at verse 1. 
I want you to know how hard I'm contending or striving or agonizing for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Isn't it astonishing that Paul has got certain goals, desires, and heart for Christians he hasn't even met? For Christians he doesn't even know. Christians he's never seen. He's not just concerned for the Christians he knows. He's not just concerned for the Christians in the churches that he's planted. He's, he's got this heart that is so big and so wide that has, that, that has desires that encapsulate, encapsulates all of God's people all over the world. I wonder if we just pause there for a moment and ask ourselves, do we, do we have that sort of enlarged heart? Are we, are we concerned for more than just our own? Are we concerned for more than just little BBC? Are we concerned for all Christians, have desires for all Christians, wherever they are, all around the world, wherever they may be, even if they are a somewhat different evangelical flavor from us? So these goals or desires, these wants for what he desires for these churches, it's... it's it's therefore for all believers of all times, of all ages, in all the churches, wherever they are. So what does Paul want? And I want you to have a look at it in verse 2. Paul says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart united in, and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, I'm going to read it to you directly from the Greek. And I'll tell you why. It's not to try and get fancy. The problem is that the English translations of this verse are actually quite difficult. And they're a little bit confusing. And it's hard to work your way around it. And I sort of had to labor hard this week to, to really grip or grab with it. So let me read it to you directly from, from the Greek. And, and I hope it will make a little bit more sense. Here it says, My goals for you are and this is directly from the Greek, that your hearts may be strengthened, being joined together in love, and for all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Okay? What that helps us to see is that Paul has got two main goals for the church. And it's this. One, here's the first goal. We would be strengthened together by unifying love. Okay, you see that? Strengthened in unifying love. And the second goal is that we would have the riches of full assurance. Strengthened by unifying love and the riches of full assurance. These are the two goals that Paul wants us to, to, to have and, and to go after. Let me unpack them a little bit for you. Here's the first thing. He wants us to be strengthened by the unity of love. One of the greatest encouragements of the Christian life is the love of God's people for one another. I hope that you can say amen to that. In other words, when we are growing together in love, our hearts are strengthened, our hearts are encouraged. When we are sacrificially serving and loving one another, we find strength to keep on fighting the good fight. 
And if you had to ask, well, what does this sort of love look like? You have to flick over to chapter 3, and we'll get there eventually uh, in the weeks ahead. But here's a picture of this, of this, of this love. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here it comes, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, here it comes, which binds them together in perfect unity. So what is the love? What is the love that strengthens us together? It's a love for one another that is compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another a forgiving kind of love. This is the type of love that Paul wants this church to have, which will strengthen us as we walk the road together. So when we're not growing in our love for one another, when our hearts are growing cold and indifferent to one another, our hearts become so discouraged, isn't it? Put it this way. When you speak to Christians who, who, who say they've been hurt by their church, what are they saying? They're usually saying we've been hurt by the, by the lack of love that they experienced. Are we not discouraged when Christians simply refuse to serve? Let me tell you one of the most discouraging things that I find, and this is up close and personal this morning, my brothers and sisters. One of the most discouraging things that I find is that when we call a prayer meeting for God's people to come and pray, and so few people come and pray. That is so discouraging. And it's not very encouraging when someone, well-meaning Christian, says to me, Paul, but the Bible says, when two or three are gathered, there I am in name. Well, the Lord is there even if there's one person, even if I'm alone. And that verse is out of context anyway, but I I digress. Let me put it to you this way. I, I will tell you, in 22 years of ministry as a pastor in the church, Those times, and there have been some dark times when I have wanted to walk away from the ministry, it is when I have experienced a deep lack of love from God's people. But I also need to say that my lack of love for other Christians has also had a similar effect on them. How do we grow in this unifying love? How do we grow in it? It comes from knowing our unity in Christ. We grow in unifying love by growing in our knowledge of our unity together in Christ. If you've got your Bible, it's come up on the screen, but just have a look back. Look at at chapter 1, verse 27. Back in the context, Paul says, Christ in you. Now, that, that, that Christ in you actually in the Greek is in the plural. It could be written Christ in yous, Christ in us. If, uh, if you have a look at uh, chapter 1, verse 18, Christ is the head of his body, the church. If you flick over to chapter 3, verse 15, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since you are members of one body. 
Our unifying love comes from our being united in the body of Christ. It comes from knowing that, yes, Christ Jesus died for me. Christ Jesus died for us. Christ Jesus died for his church. And Christ indwells all of his church, all of his members. I guess it's a little bit this. Uh, Colossians 3.11. You see, in the church, there, there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, bar- uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Here it is. But Christ is all and is what? In all. So let me put it to you this way. The extent to which you truly know you're, 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 you're being united in the body of Christ, the extent to which you know you're united in Christ is the extent to which your love for the body will grow. As we truly know our uniting in Christ, our love for one another will grow. And when that love grows, we are strengthened and we are encouraged. Do you realize, do you realize that the Christian, brother and sister, do you realize that the way that you love another Christian has a direct impact on their strength and their encouragement with Christ? Do you know that? How you love has an impact on the encouragement and strength of another. I wonder, let me put it slightly more personal again. I wonder if you realize how you respond to the word of God preached to you is of great encouragement or discouragement to your leaders. Did you know that? Let me show it to you in Hebrews chapter 13. Talking of pastors, their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow that would certainly not be for your benefit. The way you respond to the Word of God is either a great encouragement or a discouragement to me as someone that has a privilege to watch over your souls. Here's the first goal. Paul wants the church to be strengthened by a growing, unifying love that comes from knowing that we're united in the body of Christ together. You with me? Here's the second one. He wants a growing in the riches of assurance. Now, let me just show it to you again in, in, in the Greek. So there, there's my goals. Your hearts may be strengthened, being joined together in love. There's the first one. Here's the second one. Here's my second goal for you. And I want for you all the riches of full assurance of understanding. What that very simply means is this, that Paul does not want Christians to be walking around with insecure doubt about their relationship with Jesus. What Paul wants is he wants Christians to know the riches of their assurance in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. I write these things, John says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. He wants us to have a full assurance that we have eternal life. Look at it in Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and what? And with the full assurance. There it is. That faith brings 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Paul wants us to have the riches of full assurance. And you say, well, how do you, how do you get that? How, where does that? Where does that come from? Let me show you. And again, I'm, I'm gonna just going to it, keep it in the Greek. Back to verse 2 and 3. I want you to have the riches of full assurance of understanding for full knowledge of the mystery of God of Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden. Trying to put that simply, it means this. And I think I hopefully have got this statement. The extent to which you know the treasure you have in Christ is the extent to which you will have the riches of assurance. Does that make sense? To the extent that you know the rich, that the treasures of Christ is the extent to which you will know the riches of assurance. Let me unpack this a little. If you have a look at that picture, and I'm not going to name them for you, there are five of the wealthiest men and women in the world. They are multi-billionaires. They have so much earthly wealth beyond imagination. But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, known yet regarded as unknown. We're dying, yet we live on. We're beaten, but we're not killed. We're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We're poor, but making many rich. We have nothing, but we possess what? Everything. Now, here's, here's the thing. Do you realize, Christian, that if you have Christ, you are the richest person in the world, even if you have no earthly treasure. If you have Christ, who is the treasure, you have more treasure than anyone else in the world, even if you have absolutely nothing earthly. How many of you uh, remember this, uh, this old story of Alibaba and the 40 thieves? Anybody remember that story? It's one of those old ones, isn't it? It sort of goes, goes something like this. Um, Alibaba is a very, is a, is a very poor man uh, from a very poor family and uh, battles to make ends meet, really poor. And one day he goes out and he's chopping wood. And suddenly he sees these thieves that have, that, that have stolen all this treasure and they're going towards this, this cave. And so Alibaba gets up the tree and, and as the thieves are standing in front of the cave, it's got this big sort of door or ro uh, rock. And do you remember the famous words of Alibaba? Open sesame. And the whole thing opens and, and the thieves go in and they, they dump all their treasure in there and then they come out and they go... Close, sesame, and the thing closes. Alibaba nearly falls out the tree, right? Goes down, he waits till they go, and he gets to the cave, and he goes, open, sesame, and the thing opens, and he goes in, and there before his eyes is the most unimaginable treasure, more gold coins he's ever seen in his whole life. And does anybody know what Alibaba did? He stole some. He stole some and takes it back to his wife and, well, the story you can go on and find out. Christ is a treasure cave of unimaginable treasure, 
You don't have to say open sesame. You don't have to steal any. It is a gift of grace and of faith. And if you have the treasure, which is Christ, you have everything. And listen to me, what Paul is saying here is the link to which you know the treasure that you have in Jesus Christ is the extent to which you will have the riches of assurance. The more you know the riches of Christ, the higher your assurance will be. Let me turn it this way. What are the two things that usually make us doubt our assurance? What two things are they? One is sin and the other is suffering. The more we sin and the more we suffer, the more we tend to go, I wonder if God loves me or I wonder if I'm saved. What Paul is saying is this. It's the extent to know that you know the riches in Christ. The more assurance you will have, even when you sin, and even when you suffer. So here are the two goals. Here's the two goals that he wants. Here's what he desires. Strengthened by your love for one another from being in the body of Christ together. And I want you to grow in the riches of full assurance that comes from having the treasure of Christ. So here's the second question then. Why does Paul want these for these Christians? Why does he state them? Why Why does he put them out here? Here's why. Because false teachers are always coming along and they want to do two things. They want to undermine our love and they want to undermine our assurance. What false teaching wants to do, it always wants to divide And create doubt. So when you look at verse 4 and 5 of the passage, as we keep going, Paul says, here's why. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you about these goals. To stick on them, go for them. Because I don't want anyone to deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in the spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Here's the thing. These Christians... They are standing firm. They are growing in unifying love. They are growing in their assurance. But false teachers and false teaching is coming in and always wanting to undermine their unifying love and undermine their riches of assurance. So here's how false teachers do it. They come in and they say things like this. They say basically that that we're not all one in Christ. Okay, It's sort of the George Orwell animal farm thing. All men are equal, but some are more equal then. Than, than, than others. You see what false teachers came in and said, there are differences, but, but differences to create superiority. You know, we're not all one in Christ. We're not all, we, we don't all have the same fullness in Christ. And so, there are differences like gifts and preferences and religious experiences and religious works. But what the false teachers did is they used that to create a sense of superiority that one Christian is actually better or superior over another. And when you create division, what do you do? You undermine love. There are differences here among us. But when we focus on those, you know what will happen? We won't love each other. More on that a little bit next week. And then the false teachers were coming in and they were creating doubt in assurance by saying that Christ is actually 
Not enough. There are certain things you have to do to get closer to God. There are certain things you have to do to, to get a little closer to the fire of God. If you really want to be assured of your salvation, there are certain things you better do. And Paul will unpack that next week. That Paul and this one. Here's Paul's point. Christians, do not let your differences divide you. And do not let your differences undermine your love for one another. That comes from being in the body of Christ. And do not let anyone smoke your brain to say that Jesus and what he did on that cross was not enough. Brothers and sisters here at BBC, can I plead with you, let no one and nothing ever rob us of our unifying love and the riches of the assurance that we have in Christ. Let no one, and I mean no one, rob us of those things here at this church. So the question is, how do we pursue it? So how exactly do we put this into practice together? And the answer is in verse 6 and 7. So here's Paul's sort of application to us. He goes, so then, therefore, if you like, from the Greek, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The key phrase is verse 7. You need to be rooted and you need to be built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So hear me pull it all together. Let me see if I've got a statement on it. It's easier. The extent to which we are rooted and built up in Christ, in the Word of God, is the extent to which we will grow in love and assurance. To the extent that we are rooted and built up in Christ, in His Word, is the extent to which we will grow in this love and assurance. Let me... Flick it over to chapter 3.16. Paul says the same thing. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. In the words of the song that we sung after communion, what Paul is really saying is that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Where? Where's his face? Somebody shouted. Where's his face? In the Word. In the Bible. In other words, the only way that we're going to continue to grow in love and assurance is that we have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in his Word. Let me flip it over. When there's division in the church, and we know what that feels like here at BBC, don't we? We know what that feels like. When there's division in the church and when Christians are doubting their salvation, it means that we've taken our eyes off the treasure who is Christ. 
What we've done is we've put our eyes somewhere else, or we've put our eyes on ourselves, or we've put our eyes on something or someone. We've taken our eyes of Jesus in his word. What does that mean in practice? What it means is that our walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ with Jesus as Lord means that we have to ever be meditating upon the magnificence of Christ in His Word. We have to be feasting upon the bread of life in His Word. We have to be savoring the Savior in His Word. We have to be treasuring the treasure in His Word. And hopefully now you can understand, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 1, we can understand what Paul means when he says, I'm contending for you, I'm agonizing for you, I'm striving for you, I'm working so hard for these things for you. What's Paul doing? Paul is striving to get the word of Christ into their hands and into their, into their hearts. That's what he's striving to do. In other words, when Epaphras was with them, what did Epaphras do? He brought them the word of Christ. What's Paul doing in jail? Writing letters about the word of Christ and sending it to them. It doesn't matter whether he's in jail or on the road, wherever he is. He is absolutely focused on getting the word of Christ into their hands and their hearts. So that when they truly treasure Christ and they truly see him, they are going to be strengthened in their love for one another, and they're going to grow in the riches of their assurance. Which brings us then back full circle to this. Those two double-sided questions. What do you want for me? What do I want for you? Let's get personal. As your pastor, one of your pastors. What do I want for you? I want the same thing that Paul wants for the churches. I want you to be strengthened by our love for one another. And I want you to grow in the riches of assurance. And what that therefore means for me is that I have to labor and strive and agonize to get the word of Christ to you week in, week out from this pulpit. If I'm not building you up in Christ, if I'm not rooting you in Christ through the Word, this church will not mature in love. It will not mature in assurance. If I'm not bringing you the Word of Christ, and I don't know what I'm bringing you, then I'm bringing you nothing. If I'm bringing you human regulation, human rules, human philosophy, I'm bringing you nothing. It's worth nothing. I have to bring you Christ. I want us to be strengthened by our love. I want us to have the full riches of assurance. And so it means I've got to root you going down into the Word. I've got to build you up means going up into the Word of Christ. Here's the pastor's heart. 
Paul put it like this. And now in the very context of our passage, just look at it, Colossians 1.28. He says, He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And in verse 29, he says, To this end, I strenuously contend. There's that word. I strenuously agonize with all the energy of Christ so powerfully works in me. Here it is. Paul, the apostle. Paul, the evangelist. Paul, the church planter. Paul, the pastor, labored to bring the word of Christ to the people of God. Whether he was in jail, whether he was on the road. And that, my brother and sister, is what I have to labor to do. And I do want to tell you that this message itself has been a labor this week. Laboring over this word. Laboring late nights and long days to bring you the word of Christ. That's what I want for you. But don't you want the same for me? What do you want for me? I hope you don't want me to be a celebrity rock star. Yeah, I ain't one. Don't you want me to be strengthened by your love? Don't you want me to grow in the riches of full assurance? Don't you? You do, right? So what must you do? You've got to bring me Christ. You've got to bring me Christ in his word. You've got to teach me Christ. You've got to admonish me in Christ. What do we want for each other? Don't we, don't, we want, don't, don't we want for each other a strengthening love? Don't we want that? Don't we want together grow in assurance? So what must we do? Bring Christ to one another in his word. Now let me show it to you. This is incredible. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? We get that bit, right? So let the, let the, and we usually mean that we let, let the pastor do that. As you teach and what? Admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs, and from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I bring Christ to you in his word. You bring Christ to me in his word. And we bring Christ to one another in his word so that we can Grow up and mature in love and assurance. Do you understand? Brothers and sisters, this is not just a me pastor thing. It's a me, you, us, we thing. Where we bring Christ to one another. Can I put it to you this way? As a brother in Christ with you, as a pastor before you, the greatest thing I need from you is not your admiration. I need Christ from you. And I need you to bring me Jesus 
through his word. And I want us to bring Christ to one another. So let me close up with this. BBC, I have to search my heart this morning. And I really have to ask the Lord, is this really, is this really what I want for your people? Because if this is not what I want for you, then I have no place as your pastor. None. What's your heart for this church? BBC, search your heart. What's your heart for me? What's your heart for one another? Is it is it really is it really that you want to see us grow in love and assurance and therefore you're going to bring Christ is is that your heart if you consider yourself part of this church whether you're a member or not a member at the moment if you're part of this church Are your goals for this church the same as Paul, the apostle, for the church? I'm going to leave you to ponder this as I ask the music team to come up. What do you want for you? What do you want for me? What do you want for us, BBC? What do we want for Christ's church, wherever they are? It's all in Christ. He's the treasure of treasure. In Christ alone. Let's stand and sing.